Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt the Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoyed today's message. I have the privilege of sharing with you over the next number of minutes, and uh, we're going to lead towards or head towards Seodata uh, Don, the Lord's Supper, here today. So, uh, Ernie, it's good to see you, brother. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, as we partake of the Lord's Supper at the end of this service, I, I really want that each of us would prepare our hearts before the Lord because it's an important ordinance that we have here, a spiritual ordinance. If you have noticed in the communique, and we mention it regularly here, uh, sometimes even during the announcements, there are readings that are printed in the communique that include the Torah reading, the Haftorah reading, and the Brit Chadashah reading, the New Covenant reading. And there are some among us that like to read those. Uh, the Torah readings and the Haftorah readings are generally what's being read within the greater Jewish community, although there are two or three different reading plans that you can find within the Jewish community. If you are reading the Torah portion, you recognize that this week's Torah portion is Amor, and it comes from Leviticus chapter 21 through 24. And I know after all these years that when we say Leviticus, there are some that are starting to say, yay, it's my favorite book, as someone emailed me this week and told me. And then there are others that say, oy vey, I don't want to go into Leviticus, that's hard. But I believe that if we will uh, press in and read this book, the book of Leviticus, we will find that it's foundational. Some of the principles in Sefer Vayikra, the book of Leviticus, are foundational to our faith. I mean, we've already, during the worship time and during the liturgy time, we've already discussed things like the priesthood. If you listen carefully or are participating in the worship and, and recognizing the words you were singing, you realize that, that we're using terms about the priesthood, the kehunah in Hebrew. You realize that um, also that the new covenant calls us to a place of like a priestly type of function within not only our own lives but in the community and one can even say in the world at large that we have a, a priestly function in Messiah Yeshua. Now this particular parasha, Torah portion, runs from Leviticus chapter 21 through 24, so it's four complete chapters and it covers in the English text 124 verses. And frankly, some of those verses are a bit complex, uh, both Hebrew, the Hebrew, and the English. Now, among other things, as I've already mentioned, this week's portion in Sefer Vayikar, the book of Leviticus, starting with Leviticus chapter 21, recognizes and continues to validate or affirm or confirm that God entrusted to the Levitical priesthood an extremely important function within the community of Israel. We recall the history that Israel had been brought out of the land of Egypt, Eretz Mitzrayim, the land of Egypt, had been brought out from Mitzrayim and brought out into the Midbar, into the wilderness, and God dealt in a very dramatic way, and we can even go so far as to say a very personal way with the children of Israel in the wilderness or the desert. And I think that if I asked each of you, especially if you have known the Lord for a long period of time, you, you can recognize that God has dealt with you in a very personal manner at times. He's dealt with you. He somehow got your attention. I know he's very good at doing that, isn't he? Getting our attention has many different ways that he does that. And within the children of Israel, as they came out from Mitzrayim, from Egypt, a priesthood was established not by Moses 
although he was used to confirm and, 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 and help start it. But the priesthood was established by the Lord. And it was not just a regular priesthood. It was a holy priesthood. It was a priesthood with spiritual function. It was a priesthood that had a mediatorial role between the children of Israel and the God of Israel. And paramount to the priesthood was the individual whose name, whom we call the Kohen Gadol, the great high priest. How many have heard that term before, the great high priest? I hope so. But there was an individual, started with Aharon, with Aaron, transferred to one of his sons. Do you remember what happened to two of his sons? How many recall what happened to two of his sons? Esh, Zarah, they offered strange fire, and the Lord, in a sense, uh, removed them from their office. But the priesthood, the high priesthood, continued with Aaron and then from his son and, and, so, and so, so forward. And these priests, particularly the Kohen Gadol, with all the functions that I've already mentioned as far as mediatorily, as far as representing the Lord before the people and the people before the Lord, this was to be a priesthood that showed forth the love of God and the faithfulness of God. You might say, well, how did they do that? Well, they faithfully offered the offerings, the sacrifices that the Lord prescribed. When I say faithfully, I mean they obediently offered the sacrifices that the Lord prescribed. Now, there are some that would say, oh, well, that sacrifice, the terms like that, that's all done with. But I would remind you of Romans chapter 12, verse 1 that says that we are, as believers in Yeshua the Messiah, we are to present ourselves as what? A korban chai, as a living sacrifice before the Lord. And this is our spiritual, our reasonable form of worship before the Lord. So if you, if you follow this, then the idea of uh, some of the priestly function that we read about in the book of Leviticus and those that are reading through Leviticus, you're catching some of this. There's a transfer, or at least a parallelism, between what happened with the Levitical priesthood and what happens with the, the priests of the Lord now, believers who have many of the priestly roles. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1, verse one says it this way in describing the Kohanim, the priest. It says, for every high priest, the Kohen Gadol, taken from a man, from among men, is appointed for men in things pertaining to God. The high priest was appointed among the, the community for things pertaining to God. Now, to use modern terminology, they weren't called to be used car salesmen. They weren't called to be, you know, street sweepers. They weren't called to that. They were called, they had a specific calling, the high priest in particular. They were appointed for men in things pertaining to God. And then there's this statement in the book of Messianic Jews chapter 5 verse 1 that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. Now over the years I've noticed in talking with people there are some folks that think that sin is not a problem in their life. <laughs> it's almost living in denial. Can I say it that way? And I'm not talking about the Nile River. I'm talking about denial. Living in denial about some of the main issues that we face, sin being a, a cross, an avara, crossing of God's commandments. And the Brit Hadashah, the New Covenant, is very clear in the book of Romans, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it's just as abundantly clear in the book of Romans, it's just as abundantly clear that the gift of God is eternal life through who? Through Yeshua, Jesus the Lord. So the book of Romans, using some of the very terms that we might find in Sefer Vayikra, the book of Leviticus, talks about this, this establishment of relationship effected through the shed blood of Yeshua the Messiah. This relationship that can be established between you and God through the blood of Yeshua the Messiah that allows us to have a daily walk with him. Underline the word daily. <laughs> it's not just a once a week Shabbat walk, although there's nothing wrong with that. It just could be better. But it's a daily walk. It's a yom yom as it said. A daily walk with the Lord. And as the book of Romans also 
goes on and points out that through Messiah Yeshua, through his shed blood, through the forgiveness of sins, we have eternal life through faith in him. Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10, very important scripture from Rob Shaul, Paul the Apostle, the same author, author, human author as the book of Romans. He says, by grace you have been saved through faith. It's a gift of God. It's a gift of God. It's a free gift, the Greek says. It's not based upon works, but through faith and trust in him. And my prayer here is we develop a few thoughts here pertaining to the book of Leviticus and forward into Berit HaDashah is that each one of us here will recognize the need for a personal, deepening walk with the Lord, especially in this day and age. How many agree we need to walk with the Lord right now? There is so much out there. And we need to make sure that there's so much in here, and in here pointing to my own inner being. In here with us should be the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, and we walk and follow him. Now, the priest, again, Hebrews 5.1, for every high priest, every Kohen Gadol, taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifice for sins. To stand as a human mediator, the high priest did, between Israel and God, you know, it was an extreme honor to be chosen to do that. Think about it. Back when the children of Israel were brought miraculously forth from Mitzrayim, from Egypt, and God began to put together using Moses and the decrees of Moses that God spoke through Moses to make this happen. When the priesthood was established, there needed to be someone who would be chosen to be the high priest. You know, it's singular. It's not a lot of high priests, but one in Leviticus, and that was Aharon Aaron. And what an honor it was to be called to do that, to be, in a sense, that mediator, that human mediator between Israel and God. And eventually, as we read forward in the, in the Torah, we realize that, that the, the, the function of the high priest and the priesthood continued on and on and, and all the way filtered up eventually to the functions that happened in the temple in Jerusalem of offering sacrifices and gifts, as Hebrews chapter 5 says. So, but there are some that think today, and I've encountered them, and maybe you have also. There's some that see no link. They don't see a link between the calling and the service and the anointing of the Levites and the role of Messianic believers. They, they have trouble seeing a link there. And when you encounter them, and I have, and maybe you have, and maybe you're even coming from this position here this morning, when you encounter them, they, they almost want to write off some of what we read in Leviticus as if it's not pertinent to them. Frankly, I think that's a big mistake. Again, the book of Leviticus can be characterized by one verse, Tiyu Kiddushim, you shall be holy, all of you shall be holy, for I, the Lord, am holy. And there's the characterization, getting the establishment of holiness. Now, when I think about the Levitical priesthood, please notice the New Covenant terminology connected to it in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Speaking to the believers, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I don't know how that sounds to you or how it looks to you as you read that verse. But I think you would agree with me that, if we can put it in, in two words, that is a high calling there. And if you are a believer in Yeshua, the Messiah, and I pray that for not only everyone hearing these words, but for all the world. But if you're a believer in Him, you have a high calling, and it is somewhat priestly, that calling. There's a priestly function involved. Let me read this again, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, 
a holy nation. And underline this next statement, his own special people. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And I see much in this statement and other new covenant statements that connect us to the kehunah, the priesthood that we read about in Leviticus. There are connections there for Messianic believers. And we are called here, if you're a believer, we are called, as the Levitical priesthood was called, we are called to do something very special. Please hear me. We are called to do something very special. And please get this. We are called to minister to the Lord. Minister to the Lord. We minister to the Lord, and we minister before the Lord. Plus, we have a function with the people. We see this vividly expressed in a fascinating passage in Maseh HaShlechim, the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 13. Let me read these verses to you. The first three. Here's what happened among the first century believers, this fascinating event. It says in verse 1, Now in the community that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. And this passage names names. It drops the names down very interestingly, I think. These names, some of these will be familiar to us. Perhaps the first one. Barnabas. How many have heard of Barnabas before? <laughs> Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger. Lucius of Cyrene. Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. And Saul. There's five names listed. And then it says in verse 2, notice this, and I'm, I'm advocating here today that one of our functions as believers is to minister unto the Lord. And when you're here and you're raising your hands to the Lord, and most importantly, you're lifting your heart to the Lord, you're ministering unto the Lord. He wants to have that kind of relationship with us. A personal relationship, as Jonathan mentioned during the liturgy. So now in the community that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and I, I left one name out, and that is Saul. <laughs> commonly called Paul later on. And it says in verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Let me mention the names again that are listed here. Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Manan and Saul, when you study them and what we know about them using the Brit Chadashah, the New Covenant text, as, as part of our history for them, we realize that these were individuals of varied backgrounds. Each one had a different background and varied gifts, at least teaching and prophetic gifts were among them. And they had various functions working through their life. In Acts chapter 4, verse 36, it tells us that the first one listed, Barnaba, Barnabas, it tells us that he was a Levite. He was connected back to Aaron's family and Moses' family and Moses and Aaron's sister Miriam's family. They were, they were also Levites. And Barnabas was a Levite, and he was from the island of Cyprus, which is still a popular visiting place for modern Israelis. He was from Cyprus, this island to, somewhat to the northwest of Israel. That's where Barnabas was from, which tells us there was a Jewish community in Cyprus in the first century. It mentions the second individual, uh, and, uh, is uh, Simeon. Now, this name, Simeon, there's at least four Shimon's that we find in the Scripture. But this Simeon, this, this name Simeon remains a common name in Israel. Shimon. Actually, I have friends in Israel called Shimon. <laughs> and it was a very famous uh, uh, Israeli politician. Many of you have probably heard of him. Shimon Peres. How many have heard of Shimon Peres? <laughs> There. 
So there's a common name that still was one of the 12 tribes of Israel. It was connected to Simeon, etc. And it says that Simeon, who was called Niger, there are different ways to pronounce that, but most etymologists say that the term Niger is where we get the nation of Nigeria from. Do you hear the sound there? The name of the nation Nigeria is linked etymologically through the word, through uh, speech, is linked to Nigeria. So Simeon, who was called Niger, that tells us something about him. He was probably called Niger because he was very dark-skinned. He was dark-skinned. That's what the word means. He was dark-skinned. And he was probably a Jewish man from the African continent. So we have Barnabas, who's from Cyprus. And we have Simeon, who's from North Africa, dark-skinned. That's why he's called Niger. Dark-skinned Simeon has a Jewish name. He's probably a Jewish guy, exactly. And then also there was the, who was the third one? There was Lucius. Now, Lucius is a Latin name. So we have Barnabas, Hebrew name. We have Simeon, a Hebrew name. But now we have Lucius, which is a Latin-based name, connected somehow linguistically to Rome, the speech and the language of Rome. And he's among the apostles. He's among the five that are called, that are fasting and praying. And it says that he was from where? Cyrene. Some say Cyrene. That is modern-day Libya. That's where that is. So he's also an African. He's from North Africa there also. Lucius. We're not told that he was Jewish, but he could well have been. It was common in the first century for first century Jews to have both names, just as it is now for 21st century Jews, to have both Hebrew names and a Shem Loazif, a, a, a name from the, from the nations. But he was an African. Here's a second African. Lucius. And where he's said to be from was from Libya, North Africa. And then also there's a very interesting guy. His name is Manaean. He was most likely a non-Jewish man. And it says that he was raised with who? Herod the Tetrarch. You want to talk about adding a little spice to a group? Well, have somebody that grew up and hung out with Herod in the group. So you have Africans. Now, I left out the last one, which is Shaul, Paul. We're told a lot about Paul. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 5, it tells us that Paul was circumcised the eighth day. Actually, he says this in his own writings. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He was of the nation of Israel, and he was from the tribe of Benjamin, where Barnabas, Barnabas was, from a, was a Levite. Saul is from where? He's a Benjaminite. He was from the tribe of Benjamin, and it says he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, and in regard to the Torah, he was a Pharisee. Now, no matter how we look at this, these five names in the community that we read about in Acts chapter 13, verse 1 and forward, no matter how we look at these names, how we decipher them, we realize that there was considerable diversity among these five people, at least... African Cypriots, uh, somebody from Antioch, which Paul was from there, and others. Uh, the, the, the real spice of the whole group, I think, is, is the one that grew up with Herod the Tetrarch, Manan. Considerable diversity, Jews, non-Jews, Asia Minor, Africa, the Mediterranean Islands like Cyprus, a Levite, a Benjaminite, a Pharisee, Hebrew names and Latin names mixed into it all. There they are. That was their community. At least those five. Can you imagine what the rest of the community looked like? And then that childhood acquaintance of Herod. Wow, he probably had some stories to tell. Can you imagine him telling? I remember Herod when he was a little boy. <laughs> I even helped him, helped him uh, play baseball. No, they didn't play baseball back then. Let me read this again, Acts chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. Now in the congregation that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger. Lucius of Cyrene. Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Shaul, Saul. And verse 2, as they ministered to the 
Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit spoke to them and said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. These men, these five men of such diverse natural backgrounds, found themselves in one body in Antioch together. And the Holy Spirit knew exactly who they were, and he separates two out of those five to do his bidding. But what were they doing there in Antioch? And I'm emphasizing it because it's a major point here this morning, and I hope we get this into our own lives. They were ministering to the Lord. Do you know as a royal priest, a priest of King Yeshua, that you have a calling to minister to the Lord? Now you might say, well, how do I do that? You minister to the Lord in many ways. You praise Him. You thank Him. You glorify Him. You uphold His name among the people. You, you speak out of, you speak of His praises. You, you speak of His wondrous deeds. And most of all, you exemplify Him and His character. In your daily workplace, in your daily study place, in your, in your home, you exemplify your Lord, the one who's called you. As part of a royal priesthood, you exemplify him and make sure that his name is lifted up. Now, this call that was upon the high priest in the, in the priesthood of Israel at the time of Aaron was a similar call that was in the first century followers of Yeshua. And I'm saying to you today, I believe it's the same calling that we have on us, 21st century believers That's the call to serve the Lord and to minister to him. That remains a major call for us. Now, remember what Yeshua said in Yohanan in John chapter 4, verse 23. He said, and many of you have this memorized, but the hour is coming, and then there's these next three words in the English text. The hour is coming, then he says this, and now is, it's here. The hour is coming, it's here now. The hour is coming, now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. He's looking for those folks who will be ministers unto him. And that means, ultimately, that means to obey his bidding in their life. He's looking for those. Now, here's a key spiritual principle. Sovereign calling along with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, come forth when a community is committed within its diversity of backgrounds, when a community is committed to ministering to the Lord, to serving His purpose, His agenda, and His will. Let me read that again. Sovereign calling, along with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, come forth when a community is committed with its diversity of backgrounds, to ministering to the Lord. That means to serving Him, His purpose, His agenda, His commission, His will there. When that is happening within the community, there's a move of the Spirit that takes place. Now, this all seems kind of simple to have me say to, to each of us here today that we are to worship the Lord and we're to minister unto Him. That sounds fairly simple. And we're to do that through the power of his anointing and the calling and his gifts. It gets a little more complicated the more I express this. And to do that within the community, which is very diverse, just as it was in Antioch. That's what the Levites were supposed to do back at the time of Aaron. That's what the first century believers were supposed to do at that time to minister to the Lord. But what about us 21st century believers? What hinders us? from pressing into the high calling of Messiah. Where are our hindrances? Why are we hindered so much? It seems like back in Acts chapter 13, and of course we're not told all the history, everything that was surrounding that community, all the travail and troubles, and we know there was persecution developing, burgeoning persecution that was taking place. But they were able to find that place, those five individuals, and 
particularly to be called out, Barnabas and Saul, to be called out by the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. They were able to find that place before the Lord, that place of, of efficiency, spiritual efficiency. But what hinders us from pressing into that place now? And fulfilling his purpose for us as a community, what hinders us? Well, I don't really want to focus on the hindrances here today. But I want to mention three areas where those hindrances come from that hinder us. Number one, area number one, areas in particular that hinder us, number one is the flesh. Now, how many would agree with that? That at times your flesh gets in the way of your walking with the Lord. Number two, connected closely to the flesh, sin. <laughs> Will sin hinder us in our walk with the Lord? Yes. I can tell you I know that to be true personally, that sin will hinder us. And I know it to be true personally, that the flesh will hinder us. And then there's the third one, the evil one himself, the evil one. He's trying to thwart the will of God. He, he's raging against the believers. He wants to stop you in your walk with the Lord. So when you add that together, the flesh, the sin, and the evil one, if you allow those things to have power over you, that's a, almost like a negative three-stranded cord. That has to be broken. Now, connected to our shortcomings in ministry to the Lord and then to his community, we will probably notice that one or more of those three areas, again, flesh, sin, the evil one, will hinder us. But as I mentioned, this Shabbat, I don't want to talk about the hindrances so much. Instead, I want to leave us here today with five actions that we can take now. In this 21st century world that we live in, actions we can take now so that we can better fulfill God's purpose in our life. There are five actions I want to mention to you. And really be as it was a new covenant uh, royal priesthood. And by the way, the new covenant royal priesthood was never meant to replace the priesthood. The Levitical priesthood, that's a very unique priesthood. But five actions we can take now in this 21st century world we live in to better fulfill our new covenant calling as a royal priesthood. For example, action number one. We can be honest about our own personal priorities. The moment we get honest about our personal priorities, I'm not talking about pulling the wool over our own eye, being self-deceived, but when we're honest about what is our personal priority, something happens. Reality sets in, and it's much better to deal with the, with the real than the imaginary. And we can, when we realize what our own importance, and to put it this way, what's important to us. When we start looking at life through that, what's important to me? In a subjective way, what's important to me? And asking ourselves that, what's really important to me? It will be an attention getter. Now, I have the pleasure every week of driving uh, a, bit, a bit of distance to get here. I say pleasure, I make the best of it. <laughs> Many of you come a lot farther than we do. But every Shabbat morning, I go past the biggest park in our city. I drive past the whole length of it. The road goes right past the whole length of the park. And it never ceases to amaze me how many people are out at the park early in the morning. Why do I get amazed by that? <laughs> I think you can figure out. Because here I am heading to services to be with you and with the Lord here in the service. And, and got so many people are doing so many other things. My priority is a little different. And maybe they go somewhere on Sunday, which is great, or Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or wherever. But their priority, they're there. They're actually sacrificing. They're getting up early. They're, they're there. The children are out there. I watched it again today, in fact. And I've marveled how many people were out in the park. Now, I don't know how that strikes you, but so many times when I've gone past that park, I thought, how I wish they were in services this Shabbat morning. They might not even know what that means if I said that to them. The idea is, 
what's important, what priority is. Think, help yourself, be honest with yourself, and ask yourself, what are my priorities in life? And follow through with that. Ask God to help you to make sure your priorities are correct. And that brings me to positive action number two. It is connected to number one, being honest about our priorities. But action number two, we can stop making excuses. <laughs> Have you ever made an excuse about something that you really didn't, didn't hold water? You know, as the saying goes, most of us have. We make excuses. I've noticed this so often over the last decades. I've heard so many different excuses. I mean, I mean we laugh about the homework thing. How I many of you heard the, 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 the thought about the child bringing the homework, said, no, my, the dog ate my homework, you know, grandma ate my homework, whatever. We need to stop making excuses about spiritual things. Stop making excuses by our prayerlessness. Stop making excuses. We're hurting ourselves if we keep living in the world of excuses. If our priorities are wrong and our excuses are not good, wow. I've heard some really interesting ones. I wrote a few down. These are actually ones I've heard. I'm not making this up. Actual excuses. Here's one. I'm too busy to attend prayer. It really was prayer meeting was the excuse, but I'll put Bible study or Shabbat services in there. I'm too busy to attend. Okay. You're too busy to attend. What are you busy with? Is that more important than presenting yourself before the Lord within the community? It wasn't to those five men in Antioch. And not only were they there in the community for the, with their diverse backgrounds, but they were fasting before the Lord. This one I heard, I can't afford to tithe and give generously. This is a literal thing I've heard. I need all my money. It's mine anyway. Boy, I don't know. The Lord can deal with that one. That's too big for me. Uh, this one, this one I've heard, literal excuse. I can't wake up to attend the men's breakfast. It's my only day off anyway. Fine. Won't see you there then. <laughs> Enjoy your day off, <laughs> whatever you're doing. But I don't know, gathering together is an important part of being a believer in Messiah. In the book of Messianic Jews, Hebrew says, do not forsake the assembling together of yourself as is the habit of some. And these type of excuses like these, those are three I've actually heard. Those are not make-up excuses. I've actually heard them. If we continually repeat those kind of excuses to ourselves and to others and in our own life, a certain type of what I would call spiritual alchemy takes place. And those verbal excuses then are turned into active habits. Alchemy. Active habits. And such habits can be very difficult to break. If you get in the habit of avoiding some of the very spiritual things that you should be doing, it's going to be tough to break that. A spiritual alchemy takes place. A transformation takes place. And the, the type of excuses and habits that you're forming can be very difficult to break. Here's a third positive action that we can do. Consider others above yourself. <laughs> By doing just that, I won't speak much about this one. It's so obvious. And today we're going to observe the Lord's Supper together for those that will. Observe the Lord's Supper together. And there's the very image of the, the symbols of denying oneself. And taking up our execution stake, our cross, and following Yeshua daily. The very symbol of considering others above ourselves. But if you'll do just that, if we do just that, consider others above ourselves, we will be upholding the very example Yeshua gave to us. And he gave it to us dramatically. Number four, we can be vessels of help and encouragement to others in the community. Today, as I was checking my email, which I always do on Shabbat morning, there was a very nice word of encouragement that I read. It surprised me. 
It was just like a, a word in season. Have you ever had a word in season that was just like gold for you? It, it was like that for me. It's a word of encouragement there, uh, basically to continue to press on. We need that, don't we? All of us to keep pressing on. That's what Rob Shaul said. We need to keep pressing on. I keep pressing on to thy calling of Messiah. Most of us do appreciate a word that's spoken in season or a kind word or an acknowledgement of a job well done. Don't you like that when someone recognizes you did a good job? And we need to make sure that we communicate that to our worship team, our liturgy guys, to those that are working in the Oneg, to our Hebrew teacher, to those that are teaching, uh, you know, uh, the PowerShell like Kevin is today. Express appreciation to them for that. Encourage them. So let's do all that we can to encourage others and to stand with them because we want to be vessels of help and encouragement within this community. And if you do live by the biblical principle that's called sowing and reaping, and the word sowing is not S-E-W-I-N-G, it's S-O-W, so like sowing seeds. <laughs> if you live by that biblical principle of sowing and reaping, then you will definitely want to sow good seeds of encouragement to other people. For some reason, that just engenders other things to come forward that are positive and good. And I leave you with action number five here today. Positive action we can do. Number five, identify more with what Yeshua did for you. Identify more with it. Take it away from just the, the realm of theology and glass somewhere out there. And recognize and identify on a personal level what he did and it was for you. For you personally, he laid down his life. And as you identify more with what Yeshua did for you and recognize just how great is his love to you personally, how much he cares about you, that propitiation was made for you before you were born, God provided a way that leads not to death. You recognize that you'll be able to help others in their lives, perhaps your coworkers, perhaps those that you're going to school with, perhaps those that are in your family. Help them and try to pull them out to escape the fires that to come, the eternal fate that lies ahead for those that disregard the Lord. Now, with God's help, we can bring change, not only to our own lives, but to those around us, positive change. Yet, some of us have our light hidden under a bushel basket. And you may be surprised how often Yeshua spoke about this very principle. I'm going to read to you the, the most readily known one, which is Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, where it says this, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. And verse 16 is one of the many commandments that we find in the New Testament, the Brit Chadashah, the New Covenant. It says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. It seems like this scripture advocates more than just talking. See your good works. It advocates doing and in Luke chapter 9, verse 25, Yeshua reasons with his audience there. And his reasoning is incredible, but this is just a segment of it. Luke chapter 9, verse 25. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words... The Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. That is a powerful statement right there. He uses the term ashamed. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words. Are you ashamed of him in your walk, your daily walk? You rather that no one would know that you really love him and believe in him, that you trust him. You'd rather kind of take that easy way. You don't, you don't want to be identified with him. I suggest if that's your modus operandi in life, that you change from that. 
and you let your light shine, the light of Messiah shine through you to those around you. Let the chips fall where they will. But as for you, you're going to obey the Lord and let your light shine, even if you are discarded by others. And how many of you have had that happen, literally, where you were discarded by friends, etc., because of your faith? I'm one of them. It was a, a, a signpost in my life. It stared me away in two. Because when we're stared away from something, God is merciful and he leads us to something. He stared them away from Egypt, leading them to the promised land. He's staring us away from sin, leading us to what? Life eternal through faith in Messiah Yeshua. Now, the motley crew of Paul, <laughs> Barnabas, Lucius, Menaean, and Simeon, they managed in their diversity and their different backgrounds to not focus on all their different backgrounds. You know what they focused on? The Lord himself. And if we will focus on the Lord in our life, who knows what he will do? The gifts will be rise up within you. The calling would become clearer to you. The commission that he has for you, just as he said, separate unto me, Paul and Barnabas, for the task that I have for them. Who knows what he might speak to you as you minister to him within the context of community and leadership. And God chose the ones he wanted to fulfill the immediate task at hand. May he choose each of us today to do the task at hand in our life. What does he want from us? I know this. He wants us to minister unto him. To be, in a sense, a royal priest before him. Now remember today as we partake of the Lord's Supper what he did for you. These symbols, they're just symbols, but they're important symbols. And there are many ways to approach the Lord's Supper. Some like to have it only at Passover. And as you'll see as I read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, this do as often as you do it. To do it a certain way, he said, to do it in remembrance of me. Will you please rise at this time as we partake of the Lord's Supper? Thank you. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And man, the Corinthian congregation was, ooh, what a group that was. <laughs> Let me read this. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Yeshua, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. And notice this next phrase, Do this in remembrance of me. Join me as we say the blessing over the bread. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, Amotzi lechem min haaretz. Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. Amen. Continues in 1 Corinthians 11. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the Brit Hadashah, the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it, as often as you drink it, do it in remembrance of me, Yeshua said. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. It continues. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. If you were here earlier, you heard Jonathan mention about forgiveness. Friends, before you partake of this today, make sure you're right with the Lord. 
And if that means forgiving someone, if that means getting things right, well, how do you say it? Just do it. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's be true royal priests before the Lord here today. Will you recite the blessing with me over the cup? Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Borei Pri HaGafen, Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. Will you please bow your heads as we pray and dismiss with a prayer today. And after I'm through with this prayer, you're welcome to come forward and partake of the Lord's Supper. I just want to pray over each of us today that we would truly be members of the royal priesthood. Lord, thank you for each person here today. Thank you for all the work you're doing in hearts here today and the work you're doing in our lives. We know that without Yeshua, we would be totally without hope. We know that without the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, we would be dead in our sins and destined for destruction. But we thank you for a living hope, Yeshua the Messiah, your Son. We thank you, Lord, for propitiation, the forgiveness of our sins through his shed blood. And we thank you, Lord, for the promise of his return and the establishment of his kingdom. May you find us about the task that you've assigned to us on your return. In Yeshua's name, amen. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pina Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 1040 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405 842-1967 or email us at info at Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.